Now, I imagine most of you have heard um, of Dr. Seuss. Everybody heard of Dr. Seuss? Yeah? Writes the children's stories and things, probably the most famous for writing uh, The Cat in the Hat, or maybe this time of year more appropriate would be The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Um, but he, you know, he also wrote a, a story or a poem called Oh, The Places You'll Go. And um, it's all about the plans that we have and the decisions that we make and the potential for where those decisions might take us in life. It's only a short poem and it's been made into a video using some of the artwork from the book. So why don't we uh, watch it together? Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own. And you know what you know. And you are the guy who will decide where to go. You'll look up and down streets. Look them over with care. About some you will say, I don't choose to go there. With your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet, you're too smart to go down any not-so-good street. And you may not find any you'll want to go down. In that case, of course, you'll head straight out of town. Out there, things can happen, and frequently do, to people as brainy and footsy as you. And when things start to happen, don't worry, don't stew, just go right along. You'll start happening, too. Oh, the places you'll go. Wherever you fly, you'll be best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest. Except when you don't. Because sometimes, you won't. I'm sorry to say so, but sadly, it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch, and your gang will fly on. You'll be left in a lurch. You will come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but mostly they're darked. A place you could sprain both your elbow and chin. Do you dare to stay out? Do you dare to go in? How much can you lose? How much can you win? And if you go in, should you turn left or right, or right and three quarters, or maybe not quite, or go around back and sneak in from behind, Simple it's not, I'm afraid you will find, for a mind-maker-upper to make up his mind. All alone. Whether you like it or not, alone will be something you'll be quite a lot. And when you're alone, there's a very good chance you'll meet things that scare you right out of your pants. There are some down the road between hither and yon that can scare you so much you won't want to go on. But on you will go, though the weather be foul. On you will go, though your enemies prowl. On you will go, though the hacken cracks howl. Onward up many a frightening creek, though your arms may get sore and your sneakers may leak. On and on you will hike, and I know you'll hike far and face up your problems, whatever they are. And will you succeed? Yes, you will indeed. Ninety-eight and three-quarters percent guaranteed. Kid, you'll move mountains. So, be your name Buxbaum or Bixby or Bray, 
or Mordecai, Ali, Van Allen, O'Shea. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So get on your way. Now, I think Dr. Zeus has an amazing way of expressing something profound in a really kind of cute and silly way. And the beginning of the poem goes like this. He says, you have brains in your heads and you have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own and you know what you know. And you are the guy who'll decide where to go. Now, I think Dr. Zeus is trying to tell people that they have potential. That they have the ability to to think things through and to go places and to make their own decisions. And that what they want to do with their their lives, they can choose. And as the poem goes on, he's he's honest enough to admit that, that things won't always go to plan. And that things won't always be easy, but ultimately he comes back to to the conclusion that there are great things that lay ahead of you in life, and that we're each in control of our own destiny. It's an uplifting, powerful message about standing on your own two feet and making your own decisions. And you know, for for the most part, I imagine that that poem reflects something of your own experience of life. As you've made your own attempts to to decide things, to choose things, to to go the right way, and to put the right plans in place. You know, we start out with hopes and dreams uh, for the future. And and the the plans that we want to make about, and the steps that then we're going to put in place to make sure that we get there. You know, whether it's uh, the dream to, to finish your GCSEs and to finish college with good grades. Whether it's a, a dream to, to get married or a dream to have children. Whether it's a, a dream to, to pay off your debts. Whether it's a, a dream to be in a stable relationship or to, to buy a house or to be a promoted at work or to retire. We start with this dream or this hope or this vision for the future. This thing that we want. And then we start to make plans and decisions about how it is that we're going to get there. And... Um, so making decisions and planning for the future is something that all of us do, isn't it? And it's an important thing, and we need to do it. You know, we've all heard the old, old statement that failing to plan is planning to fail. And we know from our own experience how important plans can be. And so this morning, we're continuing this series looking at the letter of James, and we're going to be looking at what, something that James has to say that is relevant to every single one of us. Because James is going to talk to us about how we make our plans and our decisions. And he begins in verse 13, where he lays out what for a lot of us will be a fairly familiar scenario. This is what he writes. He says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. So James is is talking about people who are making a plan. And it's a business plan. He says, you have this dream, you have this hope for the future, what it is that you want to achieve. You want to expand your business, and you want to make a profit, and and you're creating this plan for how you're going to achieve that. And and whether it's a business plan, or a family plan, or a plan for our individual lives, that's something that all of us do. And then James goes on, and he says, there's a problem with how you're making your plans. Here's something that you need to understand. So having talked about the kind of the plans that they make, he says in verses 14 to 17, Why? 
You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. James is saying making plans is good. But there's a fundamental problem with the plans that you are making. The problem is that the plan has no place for God. They know that they have brains in their head and feet in their shoes, so they can choose to go wherever they choose. They're making these plans and deciding on where they will go and what they will do. And even if it isn't in their heart, even if it isn't their intention, when it comes to their plans, God is irrelevant or unimportant or an afterthought, an extra. And you know, and even though so often it may not be in our heart or our intentions, it can happen so easily and so subtly that we find ourselves making plans and making decisions that don't include God. Or that have very little thought as to what God's plans and purposes and his ideas for us in that moment might be. And the problem isn't having a dream. The problem isn't having a hope or this what it is that you're wanting to achieve. The problem isn't having a plan in place. The problem is when those plans don't include God. And James gives us two key reasons why this is a problem. The first thing that he says is that making plans without God is foolish because we don't know what tomorrow holds. And you know, for probably the first time in the entire letter of James, I actually think he could have gone further. I actually think he's being a little bit generous to us and a little bit kind in what it is that he says. Because if we're honest, do we even really know what the rest of today holds, let alone tomorrow? You know, I, I think about my plans for, for the day. And I don't, I don't know, you know, what comes after this moment, but I've got an idea. And, and so my plan for today is that, you know, I'm going to finish sharing with you what I think God's kind of put on my heart. And then afterwards, we'll have tea, coffee, and I'll spend some time chatting with you. Um, and then I'll jump in the car, go home, have some lunch, probably have a bit of time with the family. And my plan when it's the time with the family is it's going to be great. And my plan is that I'm going to be patient and loving with the kids. My, my plan is that they're going to listen to me and they're going to play nicely. My plan is that there won't be any discipline problems or arguments. It's going to be fantastic. Do I have no idea if any of that will actually happen? I can't even be certain that I'll make it home for lunch. The reality is that there isn't a person in this room whose plans can't change in an instant by their phone buzzing in their pocket. Or an accident that happens. Life is fragile. And that's James's point when he, he says, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You don't know the future. And to assume that you do in your plans is arrogance. And it lacks humility. And having hit home then with the fact of our lack of knowledge, James follows it up by saying, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, temperature has dropped a lot in the last week or so, hasn't it? And um, I had my first occasion, I don't know if anyone else had to, my first occasions of having to de-ice the car on a couple of mornings this week. And um, one of the things that happens when the temperature drops 
is we have those moments when we can see our breath. And it's there for just a moment. And it just kind of hovers in front of us and then it's gone. And it's like a mist in front of us. It has no power, it has no ability, it has no substance to it. And it's gone in in just a moment. And so this is what James is wanting us to get hold of. He wants us to understand that each of us lacks knowledge. We don't know what the future holds. But even more than that, we lack power. We lack the ability to, to do anything about it, even if we did. We're but a mist that is here one moment and then just vanishes. James is saying that this is you, this is me. And what he wants us to get is that that is not a good starting point for having confidence in ourselves and our plans and trying to go it alone. He wants us to know that when we understand who we are and then we go on making plans that rely on us, it's like we're saying, I'm ignorant, I'm weak, I know that, that my, my, my life is, is going to be passing in a second. But I have these great plans. I'm going to take on the world. I'm going to move mountains. Hear me roar. And when we really understand who we are, it is foolishness to have confidence in the plans that we make on our own. And yet maybe without us ever intending it, it is so easy to find ourselves in that mode of making decisions, making plans, and living life in a way that separates our work and our family and our free time from God. And in reality, we plan our lives and we make decisions as though God doesn't exist. Even though we may believe in God and we go to church, the way that we make decisions and the way that we make plans is no different than an atheist would. Or we find ourselves doing our best to make the right decisions and to make good decisions and good plans and and hoping that it's all going to work out. And then as the time draws closer, we start to get a a little bit nervous and we worry about what's going to happen and and we realize how weak we are and we're not sure if we're going to manage it and we need God's help. And so we then ask God, come and bless the plans that I've made. We say to God, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing with my time. Here's the choices that I've made. Will you just come and bless what I'm doing? And in essence, what we're doing is we're putting God on the hook for our plans rather than putting ourselves on the hook for God's plans. You know, during the the U.S. Civil War, um, Abraham Lincoln met with a group of church leaders for a prayer breakfast. And at one point, one of the church leaders said to him, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side. And Abraham Lincoln, his response shows that he understood something of what James is talking about here when he said, no, gentlemen, let us pray that we are on God's side. I think it's a great prayer. You know, rather than asking God to, to bless the plans that we have made and what it is that we want to achieve, to pray that we would know God's plan and God's purpose and that we would then join with him in it. And I don't know about you, but that's a real challenge to me in the way that I know sometimes I can make some of my plans and make some of my decisions for how I'm going to use my time or my resources. And the thing is that, 
You know, when we take what James says is true about us, and we get it, and we accept it, and then we compare it with what we know to be true about God, then we realize all the more how making plans on our own without God is just foolishness. James says that we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And in contrast to that, God knows everything. He knows every little detail of our lives. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows our future. And while James may say that we are like a mist, in contrast to that, God is eternal. And he is all-powerful. And he is always there. And he will never fail us. Now, how many of you have ever been in one of those moments? And I'm sure we all have. When you just feel like you've stretched yourself too thin. Anyone ever been there? You've got too much going on in life. And you just don't know how you're going to cope. How you're going to fit it all in. You've bitten off more than you can chew. You made plans, you agreed to do things, and, and when you took them on, you were confident in your ability to handle it. And then you hit that point where you realise that you can't do everything that you thought you could. And you know, God has never felt like that. God has never had a moment when he's been like, oh man, I'm in over my head. I've bitten off more than I can chew. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. And he is everywhere at once. He is as powerful and as present at the far reaches of the universe as he is in this room right now. But unlike God, we all reach those points, don't we, where we feel uncertain about the future. When we realize that we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And then even if we did, we're not sure if we could handle it. Or there's an awful lot that we could do about it. We all reach those points when we realize that the, that the future isn't in our hands, that we're not in control. And it can be scary, can't it? Because... That, of that uncertainty, we can be worried and we can be anxious and we can feel insecure. And when we face those times, you know, every time we come up against a problem or a temptation or, or some kind of obstacle that we don't know how to overcome, every time we reach our limits and, and, and we feel stretched and we can't cope and we're like, we've bitten off more than we can chew, do you know what? Every time it is an invitation. Because you see, every human limitation is a divine invitation. Every human limitation is a divine invitation. You can choose to keep trying to stay in control and plan your life and your future. You can choose to keep trying to to push through and to cope on your own. Or you can choose to acknowledge God. To say to God, I don't know. I need you. I can't do it. So say to God, here are all my plans. Here is everything that I've, I've been trying to do. The decisions that I've made. And I'm just not coping with it. And I'm worried about it. And I'm tired of making a mess of it. Here are all my hopes and my dreams and my decisions for, for the future. All the plans that I've made for how I'm going to get there. And I'm tired of asking you just to bless them and to help me in them. God, I choose to accept your invitation to make you Lord. To put you first. To submit my plans to you.
I lay it all down. Show me what your plans are for my life instead. Now, every time you reach a human limitation, every time you reach a point where you feel like you just can't cope, every time you look to the future with uncertainty and you're worried, God is trying to reach into your life with a divine invitation to trust him, to rely on him, to be dependent on him, and just to allow him to be in control. So you know, this isn't James saying that making plans is bad. That you shouldn't make plans or to travel somewhere on business or that you shouldn't make plans to see your family over Christmas or whatever it may be. Instead, what James wants to impact us is that because of our own limitations, making plans around ourselves and plans around the people around us is always going to have times when it ends badly. And instead, our plans need to be informed by, fueled by, driven by something greater than us. Because we're so limited. That Jesus needs to be at the center of our plans. In fact, to take it one step further, not only does he need to be at the center and we try and make decisions that fit around him, but he needs to be the one who's driving and directing the plans we're making in the first place. And for me, this is about making sure that in my plans there is no sense of uh, there being that I have plans for work and, and plans for home and plans for family and plans for hobbies and then plans for Jesus. But that for me to live is Christ. That it's all about Jesus. That every part of my life, my hopes, my dreams and my plans are make are submitted to him. And then in the midst of all of those plans, maintaining that attitude that says, my life is in your hands. God, I think this is right. I've done my best to listen and to follow you and to make my decisions based on how you're directing me, but I'm limited and I might have missed it. You are welcome to come and change any of my plans anytime. My confidence and my hope is not in my plans. My confidence and my hope are in you. And you know, if we want an example of of what it looks like to live life this way, we will find no better example than Jesus. You know, when it came to Jesus' plans and the decisions that he made and how he chose to spend his time, we discover that Jesus only did the work that the Father had given him to do. And that included preaching and teaching and healing people. But do you know what? It also included doing carpentry for 30 years. It also included taking time to draw away from all of the busyness and the pressure and the crowds just to spend time with his heavenly father. Do you know what? It also included making time to take a nap in a boat. Now see, one of the reasons that you and I can struggle in the plans that we make and we can feel overstretched and like we've bitten off more than we can chew is because unlike Jesus, we're doing things that our heavenly father never gave us to do. We can give the impression that we're busier than Jesus ever was. That unlike him, we don't have time to take a nap. We don't have time to, spend, to, take, to take away and draw away and spend time with God. And so I, I want to finish by giving you three questions to ask yourself to help you try and follow Jesus' example. And these should come up on the screen behind me. That would be great. The first question is this. 
What is the size of your plate? Jesus only had so much time, so much energy, could handle so many relationships, be in so many places. Jesus had limitations. And if Jesus had limitations, then I think it's fair to say that you and I have limitations too. So when I'm talking about the the size of your plate, what I'm really talking about is your life capacity. And do you know what? It's different for every single person. And one of the hardest but most important things that we we need to do is to accept that, that every plate is a different size, that every person's life has a different capacity. And so so that we don't feel a pressure then to to try and fit more in and pile more on. Or that we don't find ourselves judging the people with the small plates because they're not handling and coping with as much as we can. You know, for some of you, your plate is a salad plate. It's not that big. You can't handle a lot. And you know you need to accept that. That is okay. It is the way that God has made you. Don't try and be anything other than a salad plate. For some of you, it's a dinner plate and you can handle quite a bit. For some of you, it's a platter and to everyone else, they look at you and it just seems like whatever is thrown on your plate, everything that hends your direction, anything and everything, you just seem to be able to handle it and they marvel at you. But you know what? No matter what, we're all finite. We all have limitations. There's only so much our plate can hold. You need to know that and to accept that and to be happy with the size of your plate. The next question is, if we can go on to the next one, if you are feeling overloaded, what should be taken off your plate? Or what should you take off of your plate? Because what many of us tend to do is we just keep putting stuff on the plate. We struggle to say no. And we want to be able to help. We want to be able to cope. We see other people doing it and we want to be there. And so we say, yes, I'll do this. Yes, I'll do that. And then before we know it, the plate is so stacked up, it's so piled high that you're burdened under it. And things start falling off of your plate. And then you start to feel like you can't cope and you're trapped and you panic and you don't know what to do because you just can't keep up with your life anymore. And if that's how you're feeling right now, then you need to take some stuff off your plate. You know, Jesus did carpentry for 30 years, and then he stopped doing carpentry. He took something off his plate to make space for something else. Does it mean that he should never have been doing carpentry in the first place? Was it wrong for him to spend 30 years doing carpentry? No, of course it wasn't. It was the right thing for him to do for a season, and then it was the right thing for him to stop doing it. You know, don't hold back from stopping something because you've done it for the last 30 years and you just think you always have to. Don't hold back from stopping something because you feel like if you do it, it would be like saying it was wrong in the first place or you have failed in it. Some things are right for a season, but then it's right to stop them. Maybe there are things that you have on your plate that were great things that once you had time and energy and vision for, and now you don't. And now is the time for them to come off your plate. The last question then. What should you put on your plate? What are the things that, as James says, you know are right, but you don't do? The things that you keep putting off till another day. Things that maybe you've neglected for a long time. 
a particular relationship that you've not been investing in. Time reading your Bible or in prayer that just seems to always be squeezed out. Time for a growth group or for serving in a ministry that you've just keep putting off. And you keep telling yourself that as soon as I get through this season, as soon as I get through this or sort that out, then I'll have time for that. But it just never comes. So ask yourself today, what should I put on my plate? What are the priorities that God has for me that I need to put first? How can I reorganize my plate to make sure that things that are in God's plans for me are given priority in my life? My energy, my budget, my diary. Now James says, who are you to plan your life like you're in control? when you don't even know what tomorrow brings. And your life is like a mist that appears for a moment and then vanishes. Instead, he says, if our lives are to have any sense of meaning, if our lives are to be sustainable, then we need to, to be, they need to be lived with Jesus at the center, with him directing and steering the plans that we're making. And, you know, so this morning we we have an opportunity to look and to examine the life that God has given us. To examine the plans that we have, the dreams and the hopes for the future and the plans that we've laid out in order to get there. And to begin to make some course corrections. To begin to make some changes. To place Jesus at the center. And the great thing is that when we do that, when we let go of trying to be the, the ones who are in control, We come to a place where we can say, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. But I do know him who holds tomorrow in his hands. We can say that I'm weak. And my life is like a mist. But I know the one who is all powerful. And who is always with me. I'm going to finish, I'm going to pray for you, but let me just encourage you again, please make time to allow God to shape the plans that you are making. To ask yourself, what is the size of my plate? What is my capacity? What should be taken off of my plate? And what does God want me to put on my plate? Why don't we pray?